as we now look to the Lord in prayer. Now, Father, I want to thank you this morning for each one here. All these services. We're in that season of the year of the comings and goings. We realize that, the gathered, the scattered. Through it all, Father, we want a constant in the midst of our variables, and that constant is you, our sovereign, all-wise God. Give the Son, Jesus Christ, to die for our sins. So, Father, with this chapter that's known throughout the book as a powerful chapter on the whole subject of biblical wisdom, no matter what it is we're facing this morning, and the gains and the losses of life. We need to understand what it is you would teach us. So Father, these minutes are important. Warm these hearts. Engage these minds. Shape these wills. As again, our Father, we've come here to see Jesus. And him only. I'm praying these things again now in Jesus' name. Amen. It was a time in graduate school where Dr. Kill Hansen, who oversaw the internships at Trinity, approached me and said, Gary, we realize that you are still torn between going back into medicine versus entering the pastry. And he was right. He said, what we would love to do is to see whether or not you would be open to leading a pilot case of being the first to do a year-long internship under a gifted pastor somewhere in the United States of America. It might give you a greater opportunity to explore how it is that God's leading. So we pray about that and think about that, Dr. Hansen. He said, we have two, we have two churches in mind if you are interested. One is the First Evangelical Free in Fullerton, California, Chuck Swindoll. And the other is church in Cleveland, Ohio area, and Dr. Walter Hansen. Well, we were leaning towards Pastor Swindoll at that point for the internship, and it looked like it was all systems go, and Pastor Swindoll said, Gary, it looks as though this just won't be workable. I, my travel schedule keeps me uh, on the go and out of the country so much. It'd be hard to pour myself into you. Dr. Hansen said yes, and the rest would be history in my life. And so made my way to the Cleveland, Ohio area. And one of my first days there in the building, I was standing in the back and I was looking around, taking in the landscape, so to speak. A woman approaches me and says, you have chosen well. I said, can you tell me a little bit about that? And she said, this is a great church. And she's right, today that's Parkside Church where Alistair Begg is the senior pastor. I asked her, what is it about this church that stands out to you? And she said, well, there is something about the wisdom that's found here in this congregation. I said, can you tell me a little more about what cultivates that wisdom? And she said, our senior pastor. And I said, why? And she said, he's distinguished by wisdom. 
Dr. Walter Hansen is the son of the founder of Service Master International, uh, Dr. Ken Hansen, who's now with Jesus. And I remember Ken, and he would fly in occasionally from Santa Barbara, California, to spend time with Walt, and then those long days, Mondays particularly, where they can stretch out 14, 15 hour days, they would go for a quick walk, and they even timed it, and they would cover every subject so it seemed under the sun. It was a brisk walk, Ken and Walt. And I watched as the months went on how they made that a regular discipline in their relationship. I remember one night I, in my journal of that year of an internship, I, I noted the words from Proverbs chapter 14, 13 rather, of verse 20, whoever walks with the wise becomes wise. And Dr. Ken Hansen is now in the American Business Hall of Fame. He's with Jesus now as well. Hall of Fame includes people like Walt Disney and Rockefeller and so on. And what struck me was the extraordinary wisdom of this duo of multiple generations that demonstrated and illustrated whoever walks with the wise becomes wise. And I was introduced in that internship to that kind of wisdom. Since January, you and I have been walking with the wise, the book of Job, the person of Job. He's experienced extraordinary loss, hasn't he? Loss of family, a loss of material possessions, loss of health, what he hasn't lost is God. And the question, cosmically speaking, is how do you live for God in the midst of loss? Maybe you grapple with that. Well, how you answer that makes a powerful statement with regard to our understanding of wisdom. And what I want to do with you is we explore this 28th chapter we're climbing Mount Everest of wisdom, if you will, is to draw out three significant considerations here of this whole matter of how do you cultivate wisdom in the midst of loss, in the hardship of trials, in extremes of life. And many of us in these various services were there, have been there, or will be. So I want to draw for you these three considerations. And the first is found, verse 1 through 11, that when you and I, when you need wisdom in the midst of trials, first of all, I want you to consider the persistent search for wisdom. The persistent search for wisdom that's found here in this 28th chapter. Now, when you're counseling people, what you're going to want to do when they are experiencing high levels of loss, pain, hurt, is to pay careful attention to their figures of speech, the words they use. There are over 370 figures of speech in the book of Job. In this case now, in this 28th chapter, he chooses to use 
the illustration of ancient mining. Now we're going to ask ourselves, and why, Job, has this caught your attention? I don't think he was a miner. But at the same time, it seems as though he's well aware of mining work throughout the region of the Middle East. Well, begin to explore this metaphor with me because you can see him now who is he counsels his counselors in the midst of his own suffering seems to try to find a new way to communicate effectively. Watch the use of figures of speech in the midst of human suffering. Surely there is a mine for silver, he'll say, and a place for gold they refine. Iron is taken out of the earth. Copper is smelted from the ore. Man puts an end to darkness and searches out to the farthest limit the ore in gloom and deep darkness. He opens shafts in a valley away from where anyone lives. They're forgotten by travelers. Head scratcher. What causes a man who's experiencing such intense loss on one hand and such extraordinary loyalty on the other hand to be able to communicate through analogies such as this? Now when you're ministering to those who are hurting and they're grappling with how do I communicate my pain on a scale of 1 to 10, watch their use of figures of speech. And ponder what initially comes from their lips when they're grappling with how to communicate wisely. Ask yourself why. If you and I begin to probe the first four verses, what stands out for us is that what Job is trying to communicate is that there is a hiddenness, a hiddenness to wisdom. In trying to understand and to explain loss in the midst of everyday living where you might not always have an answer to the question why and are you willing to be persistent in your search for wisdom where you are pursuing answers that thus far seem to be eluding you and what you are asking for is that God in some way shape or form give greater perspective in this matter. For as we've said, God reveals enough to make our faith intelligent. God conceals enough to allow our faith to grow. What can we learn in pursuing wisdom in the whole realm of the hiddenness of answers when you're experiencing such extreme trials? Ponder the metaphor. This is taken from a minor, 1902. I'm 35 years old, married, father of four children, have lived in the coal region all my life. 23 of these years have been spent working in and around the mines. My father was a miner. He died 10 years ago from miner's asthma. Three of my brothers are miners. None of us had opportunities to acquire an education. We were sent to school, such a school as there was in those days, until we were about 12 years of age. And then we were put into the screen room of a breaker to pick slate. 
From there we went inside the mines as driver boys. And as we grew stronger, we were taken on as laborers until we served, we served until we were called to ourselves as miners. There were five of us. One lies in the cemetery. Fifty tons of topped rock dropped on him. He was killed three weeks after he got his job as a miner, a month before he was to be married. And you ask, what causes us to keep on keeping on? He goes on to say, day in, day out, from Monday morning to Saturday evening, between the rising and the setting of the sun, I am underground working the mines and we get old we get old quickly he ends his excerpt by saying the luxuries of the rich we do not ask and we do not want we do not want butter for our bread meat for our soup we do not want silk and laces for wives and daughters but we would want to earn enough to buy, a, buy them a clean calico once in a while our boys not expecting automobiles, membership cards, and clubs of every city. But they want their fathers to earn enough to keep them at school until they at least have a reasonably fair education. As we grapple with trying to understand the whys of our lives. Now here then is a story from mining of a man who is still in the midst of his mining experience looking for answers to the complexities of life. So now, out of verses 1 through 4, you're saying, Gary, love to be able to develop some wisdom. Job is part of the books of wisdom. Where do I go with this? What Job seems to be saying from his extended metaphor at this point is that there will be a hiddenness to wisdom. And you're going to have to discipline yourself, be part of a persistent search to be able to find answers when others are simply prone to give up. Are you prone to keep on keeping on? Or in the midst of loss is your natural tendency to say enough's enough. I give up. Ever ask why, once you came to know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you came to know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, God kept you here? It's a why question is a wisdom question. Could have just taken you home at that point. But he keeps you here to tell others about Jesus. He keeps you here so that you can answer the why question with you are committed on a Monday morning to disciple those people, lead them to full understanding of Jesus as Lord and Savior, so they in turn lead other people to full understanding of Jesus as Lord and Savior, and then that weekend comes, and you're asking, who can I be inviting out to be part of a service, so that while we're not imposing truth upon them, we are exposing truth to them. Because what we want to do is to allow them to go a little further. Because right now it seems in their estimation that all seems hidden in the losses of their lives. 
while Christians at the same time are also going to have to be willing to be persistent in pursuing Jesus in the midst of the losses of our lives. It's the end of first service. A man's approaching me. I know that man. My eyes get bigger and bigger. That's Gary, I say. We served together on an elder board in Pennsylvania. He walks up on the platform and he's teary-eyed and throw our arms around each other. I say, how are you, brother? He said, it's so good to see you. And I said, where's Brenda? He said, she went home to be with Jesus last month. And so I'm just thinking about the hiddenness of wisdom. His two Garys look at one another and grapple with this. Do you? There's a second part of this. Not only the hiddenness of it all, but you go on now to verse 5 through verse 7, 8. Just read. As for the earth, out of it comes bread, but underneath it turns, turned up as by fire. Now you say to yourself, look at that. What he's saying is that we don't satisfy ourselves with a, a surface level understanding of wisdom. No. So often wisdom means you're going to have to go deep. You're going to have to go beneath the surface of everyday living. And so wise people are not content with surface style living. Wise people who know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior understand the Hebrew word for wisdom is chokmah. Masterful understanding, skill, expertise. It means getting beneath the surface where other people are content to live their lives, to be able to figure things out where other people are prone to give up. So as for the earth, out of it comes bread, but underneath it's turned up by fire. He goes beneath the surface. Verse 6, he's still thinking mining. His stones are the place of sapphires. It's dust of gold. That path no bird of prey knows. The falcon's eye has not seen. The proud beasts have not trodden it. The lion has not passed over it. You say, hey, gear. Now, verses 1 through 4 in this persistent search for wisdom deals with the, the hiddenness of, of wisdom. Well, then what do we have to say about 5 through 8? I would argue at this point we're talking about the skillfulness of wisdom. That what you and I have to do is to be able to hone our skills. To be able to find ways to draw out insight that otherwise might be hidden. So that we can minister effectively to people that are grappling with the big questions of life. And they're not quite certain just where to go for all those answers. You see, the hiddenness of it all. The skillfulness of it all. But thirdly, under this first heading, the purposefulness of it all. Because you go on. Hmm. Man puts his hand into the flinty rock, overturns mountains by the roots, cuts out channels in the rocks. His eye it sees every precious thing, and he dams up the streams so that they do not trickle. And then the thing that is hidden, he brings out to light. You see, he's got a purpose here, and he's going to keep on keeping on as he seeks to fulfill that purpose. 
There's gold there, you see. And it's worth mining. The gold of wisdom. She writes the gold started being scarce. Abandoning the mines to become a common practice. Every two days there would be news of five people who'd given up. The young man, <coughs> he still had some faith. He told himself, I just need to go a little bit deeper. Well, he'll wake up, smile at himself and say, today I'm going to be rich. And his days would go by and his friends were advising him to give up because according to them he was wasting his energy and time for something that there was not there to be found. And it did not take long for the young man to start accepting in his heart what others were shouting out loud. He stopped smiling. He started waking up late. He would say to himself, I miss home. I think the earth has given its best shot. So after two months of working in the mines, he decided to accept his fate and give up. He sold his tools for a ticket back home and finally said, Zova. And as he was saying that he heard a loud shout, he, he thought someone was being strangled. And so he, he ran to the source of the scream. Maybe someone was stuck, needed some help. But arriving at the scene, an old man was on his knees crying. And next to him was a huge piece of gold. The piece of gold was so big that it would be impossible for one man to carry alone. And the place where the elderly man had found gold was exactly where the young man was digging early that day. The young man was shocked and asked the older man, How did you find it? To which the elderly man replied, I dug one inch deeper. I dug one inch deeper and I found it. You see, so often in the experience of loss, there's a tendency among people who are so exhausted by the losses of life to say, okay, that's as far as I'll go. And then someone comes along who's got the experience of life and says, go one inch deeper. Go one inch deeper. Keep on keeping on. And lo and behold, you find gold. There's wisdom, you see, in the pursuit. And that's what Job is telling us at this point. But what are you looking for? In Colossians chapter 2, verse 3, you and I are told, In whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. He's talking about Jesus, you know. As I watch two generations of Hansen walking down the street, he who walks with the wise grows wise. So we're walking with Job through all these months since January now, and we are up to this point, or two-thirds of the way through the book of Job. 
we spot the persistent search for wisdom in 1 through 11. But now there's a second consideration that flows out of 12 through 19. And it's the great value of wisdom. Check it out with me. As it begins with two questions. But where shall wisdom be found? And where is the place of understanding? Now when you are ministering to those who have experienced loss in life and you're being asked to counsel them, guide them, minister to them, notice repetition, repeated questions, ask what's the purpose of the questions. Because they're grappling with things that might be elusive at this point in their own personal, their experience. Listen carefully to repeated words. So now, here is Job at this point. He's experienced the loss of family. He's experienced the loss of wealth. He's experienced the loss of health, but he still has God. And maybe you've experienced a lot of loss. Know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Don't underestimate. You got God. Because now he kicks in with something of high significance. You're up to verse 13. It's a value statement. Man does not know its worth. And it is not found in the land of the living. The deep says, it's not in me. And the sea says, it's not with me. Speaking poetically. Cannot be bought for gold and silver. Cannot be weighed at its price. The price. Wearsby once said, we know the price of everything and the value of nothing. It cannot be valued in the gold of Ophir, in precious onyx or sapphire. Gold and glass cannot equal it, nor can it be exchanged for jewels of fine gold. No mention shall be made of coral or of crystal. And the price of wisdom, there is the price concept again, is above pearls. And the topaz of Ethiopia cannot equal it, and nor can it be valued in pure gold. Now, as you're listening to the person who's hurting at this point, understand not only the true value of wisdom, on the other hand, try to understand what does this person value. Because so often the things that people value don't match up to the true value of wisdom. And so what you have to do is to evaluate in order to try to better understand not only what they value, but then to be able to introduce them to true value, which is found in a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And I thought about that when I was pondering the significance of that, that antique road show on PBS. You ever check it out? It's my brother-in-law and sister's favorite show. They're always trying to figure out, okay, what's the value of A, B, C. It's hard to fathom, he writes. But holding this bottle up to the screen says, the designs in this bottle are comprised of single grains of sand. The bottle was found in an attic. The owner received the sand art from his father. Knew little about it except that it had been made by Andrew Clemens, an artist from Iowa, who could neither hear nor speak. 
and Clemens gathered the sand to make stunning and colorful masterpieces from Pikes Peak National Park. The mineral runoff from the rocks gives the sand its pigmented color and a wax seal has kept the design intact. The appraiser, Alan Cotts, estimates the retail value to be between $30,000 and $50,000. The owners thought they just had some sand in a bottle, in an attic, their parents' attic. Now, what we have to do to be able to minister effectively in a culture that knows the price tag of everything but the true value of nothing, as Wearsby would put it, is to begin to cultivate the skills, to begin to cultivate the skills of an appraiser. So now if somebody's hurting in your life, you're going to have to appraise what's going on. Why are they responding the way they do? What are the repeated phrases? What are the metaphors? What are the analogies? What are the figures of speech? Why the long pauses? Why the glow, the glow in the distance of some longing that thus far they've not been able to be able to gain? And help them to understand that you and I cannot purchase cheap substitutes when we need to be in the quest of lasting value, of wisdom. So you're looking at this now, and you're an appraiser. It's as if now you are on that antique, antique road show of life, and you're and you're looking at the people that you're ministering to, and they're they're grappling with now. What does this mean? And why am I experiencing what I'm experiencing? And how do I go on keeping on when somebody might say, "Just go one inch further." Just go one inch further. So now what you and I need to do, if we know Jesus as Lord and Savior, is that like Job, we put ourselves in this persistent search for wisdom, chokmah, masterful understanding, skill, expertise. We position ourselves to be an appraiser and evaluate the great value of wisdom in verses 12 through 19. But now we're on to what I'll call a third consideration that when you and I, when you need wisdom in the midst of the trials of life, well then thirdly, consider together now the ultimate basis for wisdom. And here comes at you. And once again, I want you to notice that Job... He's flying at a high altitude, which I normally don't see, do you, when people are hurting, suffering? It tends to be at low altitude in the way in which they're viewing things. But Job is being lifted by the workings of the Holy Spirit to, in essence, counselor his religious counselors at this point. Religious unbelievers who think they have words of wisdom, but... Uh, there's a, devoid, there's a void here where they don't utilize capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D when talking about God, but rather they are using more generic terms for God as they counsel Job religiously because it seems as though they've got some religious perspective on God but not a personal relationship with God. 
And so Job now, he utilizes the questions once again. As should you, as should I, when we minister, twofold question, from where then does wisdom come? What do you think? He asked the counselors. I can see his arms folded like this. And where is the place of understanding? Now, look what he does. As he pulls together the mining aspect of it all, as he gets you and me to think about the persistent search and the great value, and now you and I are involved with the ultimate basis of wisdom. He gives incredible insight when he says, it is hidden from the eyes of all living, concealed from the birds of the air. A bad and death say, we have heard a rumor of it with our ears. And now evangelistically, notice that he uses G small case O-D. Why not use capital L-O-R-D? Answer. His counselors don't have a hook to hang that hat. He knows the culture, and so he's going to have to use cultural language to begin to get them rethinking their views of God in relationship to suffering. So he is now strategically and wisely communicating the via questions to get them to rethink their own assumptions. As should you, and as should me, and as should I, when we're dealing with people who are experiencing loss. And so he goes on now and says, God knows. God understands the way. He knows its place. I can see their eyes getting bigger. He's talking evangelistically. Verse 24. He looks to the ends of the earth, sees everything under the heavens when he gave to the wind its weight and apportioned the waters by the measure. When he made a decree for the rain and a way for the lightning, the thunder. What's he doing? The book of Job utilizes not only what I'll call directional wisdom, pointing you where you should go, the book of Job also uses creational wisdom, forcing you to consider the sovereign one who's the designer behind the design. It's World War II. The Nazis break through the French lines. They're leaving the Belgians defeated. Several British generals said only a miracle could save the forces. Hitler's movements seemed to be borderline victorious, waiting it happen. When for some reason Hitler halts their tanks 20 miles from Dunkirk, he felt that his armies were too low on supplies, vulnerable to attack. When suddenly a severe thunderstorm grounds the American airplane, the German airplanes, thus allowing Allied troops to pass toward Dunkirk to set up a line of defense. Meanwhile, King George VI is leading a national day of prayer for the hopelessly trapped British forces. Afterward, it only took nine days for the British to evacuate on the English Channel, which was unusually smooth as a, quote, mill pond, unquote. Walter Lord explains, the wind moved to the north. Giant breakers came rolling over the empty beaches. A British general reported the evacuation of Dunkirk was surely a miracle. Churchill called the evacuation of more than 330,000 British soldiers a miracle of deliverance as they pondered that bolt of lightning from the heavens. But then William Cooper would say, God moves in a mysterious way. His wonders to perform. 
For he plants his footsteps in the sea and rides upon the storm. I smile what comes next. Deep in unfathomable minds of never failing skill. He treasures up his bright designs and works his sovereign will. This last stanza, blind unbelief is sure to err and scan his work is in vain. But God is his own interpreter and he will make it plain. Wisdom. Wisdom. First Job puts it, he made a decree for the rain and a way for the lightning of the thunder. You think Dunkirk, maybe you've seen the movie. And then he saw it and declared it. He established it and searched it out. But now you're going to want to take that last verse of 28. It's on the screen. Right, of course, how this relates to Proverbs chapter 9, where the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Verse 10, that chapter. And then begin to think seriously about the wording of it all. Is now Job in 28, he says, Behold, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. But you're thinking at this point, you say, but Job is not using capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. What can he do? Why is he doing that? And the answer is, it's because these guys don't have a hook to hang that hat. You've got to know who you're talking to. This is as far as he can take it at this moment in his own sufferings as he ministers to his counselors. So he said to them, Behold, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. And to turn away from evil is understanding. And he's consistent with the way in which God himself had described Job in that, auto, in that biographical statement that Job was upright. He was blameless, upright, one who feared God and turned away from evil. And here is not Job, consistent. The fear of the Lord, that is wisdom, turn away from evil is understanding. And you capture the essence of where the ultimate basis for wisdom is found when you're experiencing loss in life. It's now two generations of Hansen. Walt Hansen, who's a pastor who become a professor, walking with Ken Hansen, the founder, CEO of Service Master that went global. Start heading my way. When all of a sudden, Ken Hansen motions to this young intern. So I walk up to the two of them. I thought this was a father-son thing. And Ken says, hey, Garrett, we're going to be going for a walk tomorrow. Same time. Want to come with us? You betcha. Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise. But where should the walk lead? After Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came from Jerusalem. They came to Jerusalem saying, 
Where is he? Question. Who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose. And have come to worship him. And when you pursue wisdom, you're pursuing Jesus. Because, as Paul put it, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And the ultimate basis for wisdom is found in a personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ, Savior, Lord. Wise men, to this day, are still looking for Jesus. Are you? Let's stand together. All three services. People are experiencing loss, job-wise, spouse-wise, a child, a grandparent, health. And the question is, how do we answer the bigger questions of life? A lot of us have to dig one inch deeper. And Father, while we can't replace the losses necessarily, we have a relationship with a God who is willing to experience the loss of the second member of the Trinity and then raise him three days later from the dead. I pray that each one in all these services leaves today knowing what cannot be lost. Jesus, if we know him as Lord and Savior, we praise you now in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you.